Welcome back, people of Mzanzi, to another informative episode of Farmers Inside Track. My name is Dawn Numdu, and today we're diving deep into the role of packaging and labeling in the world of household pesticides. This topic is crucial, not just for the effective use of these products, but also to minimize the potential risk they pose to us and to our environment. Pesticide packaging and labeling should be designed to limit human exposure and environmental contamination. And while this primarily lies in the hands of pesticide manufacturers, we as consumers also bear a significant responsibility. Our role is to understand and follow the instructions on these labels and to handle the packaging in the safest way possible. To enlighten us on these key areas, we're fortunate to have with us two distinguished guests, Dr. Gerard Verdoren, the Operations and Stewardship Manager at CropLife SA, who will share insights on the packaging aspect of pesticides. His regulatory manager colleague, Rulin Lagranti, will help us to decode the significance of pesticide labeling. Thank you once again for joining me here on Farmers Inside Track. I have two guests today. And I'm really happy to have both of them with me. It feels like a bit of a Crop Life South Africa tag team with Dr. Gerard Verdoren and Rulin Lagranzi. I am so happy to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dawn. <laughs> so um, we'll start with Dr. Verdoren as a start. Maybe we can kick off explaining why the packaging of household pesticides is so critical in minimizing human exposure and environmental contamination, Dr. I think to start off with, we must understand that every pesticide in of whatever nature carries a certain hazard. And the moment you open the pesticide, then the risk factor comes in because hazard is an intrinsic property of a pesticide. But the risk only comes in when people start working with it. The small pack pesticide packaging is designed exactly to minimize the risk to people when they start working for a, with a pesticide. And that is why you will see on the shelves at retail stores that we don't sell agricultural pack sizes like 10 liters and 20 liters, but we normally sell anything from a 50 mil up to one liter. And in the case of the home and the garden pesticides, virtually none of them are any of the chemicals that have a very high risk there of a lower or high hazard of the lower hazard categories. Many of the pesticide containers also contain a primary container. In other words, it is in a little plastic bottle or a glass bottle. And then it's got the secondary container, which is a box, and inserted in the box is then the leaflet or the label, which guides the client on the correct and responsible use of it. And the last thing I want to say there is that most of the pesticide containers in a bottle, whether a glass bottle or a plastic bottle, will have one of these special caps that you have to put pressure on to open in order to prevent children from being able to open the bottle and playing with the chemical and becoming contaminated. So that's why we've got these special guidelines and rules around the home and garden pesticides. Now, I've always wondered how is the design of pesticide packaging regulated and what factors are considered during this process, doctor? Oh, there's so much regulations around pesticide packaging. To start off with the base regulation is basically the SANS 10228 or the South African National Standard 10228 that talks about the the UN specifications for any dangerous goods packaging for shipment and for transport. So we base the design of pesticide packaging on those guidelines, which are international guidelines. In other words, to make sure it can be transported by ship or by rail or by road. That is the base one. 
Secondly, after that comes in the requirements of the Fertilizers, Farm Fees, Agricultural Remedies and Stock Remedies Act, which is governed by the Department of Agriculture. And the registrar there has the mandate to impose certain restrictions or certain conditions on the pesticide packaging. And he will mostly be guided then by what the SANS 10228 will tell him in terms of that is the quality of the type of container required for a particular type of pesticide. In other words, when you work with emulsifiable concentrate or you work with a suspension concentrate, these chemicals are quite aggressive on soft type of plastic and therefore you cannot pack it in the thin gauge HTPE bottle. HTPE is high density polyethylene. So therefore it requires a heavy gauge polyethylene bottle or it will require a polyethylene bottle then with a lining inside which is fluorinated which makes it impermeable then to the chemicals. So the main thing is then that people must look at SANS 10228 to decide do my packaging that I anticipate to go to market with conform with those standards and secondly the registrar will say but let me see at what the client asks for in terms of registration for these different types of pack sizes let's say from a 50 mil up to 20 liter and do they conform with 10228 and he will say yes you may go for that or, for example, when you get like a granular pesticide, which is scattered on the soil for things like ants or maybe for weeds, that can be packaged in a cardboard container because it's not a liquid, so you don't have to have that stringent type of packaging. So every pesticide type will then determine what is the best quality or best type of packaging that can be going to the market, and that is regulated at the end, eventually, by Act Number 36 of 1947. Now, are there any challenges that the industry has faced in creating or maintaining these safe and secure packaging for pesticides? I know that you just explained the variations of it, but how does that change over time? And has it changed a lot since the regulation started or since it was implemented way back when? No, I don't think we've had ever had any issues with pesticide packaging. There, there are cases where I walk into a retail store and I see that the one liter bottle is paneled. Now, paneling means but the bottle is not round anymore, it's warped. And that is because of especially things like the suspension concentrates or the emulsifiable concentrates that do attack the plastic. And then what we advise the clients to do is to put the breather cap on that. So it's a normal cap with a very fine little hole in the top and it allows then for air movement in between the atmosphere and the container contents on the inside so the container doesn't warp, it doesn't panel. So those are one of the only issues we've ever come across. And then we've come across issues, for example, where bottles have a screw cap that doesn't actually fit properly and it leaks a bit. And we advise clients then to, to make a plan to repair that or to use a different type of cap. But our issues are very minimal in terms of the pesticide packaging. Where we do have an issue is where we started looking at the recovery and recycling of all pesticide packaging in terms of the extended producer responsibilities which are resorting under the Department of Forestry, Fisheries, Environment because they came up with these regulations for us to bring our packaging back into the market and create a circular economy where you reuse. In other words, the purpose is to reduce waste, to reuse packaging and to recycle the packaging. So we have one particular type of packaging which is called PET, which is in the longer term words is called polyethylene terephthalate. That cannot be cleaned properly to be recycled to become a new pesticide container. It is not like a beverage bottle, which is a clear PET bottle. Then all our beverage bottles now are 
recycled pet plastic, but you can't do it with a pesticide container because it has a particular pigment or a color, and that set upsets the process. It's also very difficult to do it with in the industry that does recycling of our plastic containers. But the issues for our containers are absolutely minimal. It's only here and there that you see, for example, where a retailer puts stuff on the side instead of standing upright and the containers leak. But we guide them then to make sure all containers are packaged properly in the shelf as they stand upright. And this is, of course, closely monitored by people like yourself and the industry in itself. How does that work? If you could just briefly share some information on that. Most of our small pack members in CropLab say that service the retail market for what we call the consumer market with a small pack pesticide. They've got merchandisers. So these are the young people, young ladies and young men that work in the store, that pack the shelves, right, and look after their particular portfolio of a particular company, for example. So I yesterday met a young lady that I know very well in Saberga, and she was looking at the shelf. She was actually packing the entire shelf, right? doesn't matter that she only works for one company, but she made sure that that shelf at that retailer looked very nice. So they do that. Secondly, is that we expect then a retailer also to make sure the shelves are right and ready and that the chemicals are stored properly, in other words, upright and not lying on the sides. And I also go and do audits myself wherever I come in the country, walk into a retail store. I check it up if I see things wrong. I call the store manager and I ask him to pack the stuff right. I show them what to do. And lastly, then, is that there is an inspectorate under the Department of Agriculture which we call the Directorate of Agriculture Input Control Inspector. They go around to retailers very often to go and see whether everything that they sell is registered. And if they find anything there which is not correct in terms of the packaging, they also issue then a directive to the retailer to say, make sure you make the stuff right. Otherwise, next time, there will be a financial penalty imposed upon you. Now, Doctor, can you shed some light on consumers who are handling pesticides, packaging safely, and the steps that they should take after use? I know that you've highlighted some of this in our previous episodes, but for those that may have missed it. The handling of any pesticide container at what we call end of life cycle, in other words, in the hand of the person, whether the farmer or the smallholder farmer or the gardener or the food gardener or the homeowner, it's basically all the same. So what we tell people is, when you're done with that particular bottle or container of pesticide, it has to be cleaned appropriate to become nominally empty. Now, these are big words, but in simple terms, most of our pesticides at the small pack level are in a plastic bottle or they come in a glass bottle and some of them in cardboard boxes. In other words, the granules that can be scattered around. So your job as the consumer in terms of the Waste Management Act is to clean that container out properly. And what we talk about in crop life is the tripperance procedure. So if you work with a plastic bottle or a glass bottle, once your container is empty, you put 30% or 25% of the container volume, fresh water in, put the cap on, you shake it up for 30 seconds and you decant that rinse water back into your spray tank. People think that you throw it out in the drain or the garden. No, it goes back into your spray tank. And that rinsing procedure is then repeated three times and that removes 99.9% .9 of all the chemical in the glass or the plastic container, it goes in spray tank and that is sprayed out then on your target. In other words, on your lawn or your fruit trees or your crop outside or your roses, ornamentals, whatever. That's the way to clean a container empty. And then Crop Life will hopefully this year still start with a program in the retail sector where we will offer people opportunity to bring in those tolerance empty containers and dispose of them in a particular drum, which will then be collected by people to go and recycle them at a big facility where they turn it into a new commodity. 
very much the same goes for the paper and the cardboard and other types of packaging. All of them can be cleaned up properly to make them nominally empty. In other words, non-hazardous. Because the access, if you don't clean that container properly, it is a hazardous substance or a hazardous object, and therefore it must be transported and treated as dangerous goods, and you need a special license for that. So all we ask the people is read the label, because all the labels say you have to triple rinse that container, and it has to go into recycling. As I said, crop life will start a process sometime this year to enable the public to bring it back into the recycling process. We can reuse the material and make a new container or make something else out of that plastic or the glass or the cardboard that we use for the pesticides. I think the last time we spoke, Herat, I was very adamant that I could probably have conversations with you for days on this topic. But my final question to you is how can the general public, you know, be educated around about or around the importance of correct uh, pesticide packaging handling? Well, that is basically the job of CropLife South Africa and all our member companies. And we're starting an advocacy campaign very soon by putting things on radio, television, into the public media, articles, the public talks at retail outlets, to the garden centers, at nurseries, and so on, to tell people we are starting a campaign by the end of the year to recover any pesticide packaging. This is the way to clean it out. This is what you would do when, once you've cleaned your pesticide packaging up properly. And once we've got our infrastructure ready for people to participate in the collection, the disposal of empty consumer type of pesticide packaging, we will also load all the guidelines onto our website on www.croplife.co.za for the consumers to see how do I clean my rodenticide pack? How do I clean my cypermethane pack? How do I clean, for example, the pack which is my lawn weeder. So all those things will be available in the public domain on our website for people to go and read how to clean it properly. So we've done it already. We just have to develop the infrastructure and all the logistical things behind that, and then we can go with it. We will start the campaign to inform the public. It's our job to inform the public what is the right thing to do in terms of empty consumer pesticide packaging. It sounds very vital for the industry, not just for agriculture, but anyone, you know, who uses your products on a household level. So looking forward to seeing how that will develop, Dr. Fedorin, and also just to be part of it as Food from Zanzi and moving forward. So thank you so much. I now have the pleasure of chatting to Rileen again. Rileen, thank you so much for being here and for joining me. Maybe you can start by talking about how does effective labeling help to ensuring the safe use of household pesticides and minimizing harm to users and the environment. Thanks, Dawn. Well, I think the most important is to know that all pesticides and all chemicals for that matter, synthetic or natural, have certain hazards associated with it. So these are inherent properties of the chemical, like Harat mentioned. So this would be like, for example, whether a product is flammable or not. So effective labeling allows the user to know these inherent properties of the chemical, which may then pose a risk to the user. So if the user is sufficiently informed of the hazards associated with the use of a chemical, the risk mitigation measures can be imposed to reduce the risk of the chemical causing any harm to humans or the environment. For example, knowing that a product is flammable reduces the risk of the product catching fire if risk mitigation measures are taken, such as keeping the product away from open flames or high temperatures, etc. So for pesticides, often these risk mitigation measures would be included on a label and it would be things like 
using the product in a well-ventilated area or wearing the correct personal protective equipment or storing the chemical where children cannot get hold of it, etc. So essentially effective labeling lowers the risk of harm occurring when using a potentially hazardous product. Thanks so much for that explanation, Rolene. Now, can you walk us through the key elements that must be present on a pesticide label and what they mean for the average consumer? I know that there's a lot to it. I hope that it won't be too complicated to kind of talk through. But if you can just give us the simple terms and what people should look out for. Like you said, there's a lot of information on the label, but there's a few things that I think are are probably the most important to take note of. So at the moment, we're a bit in a crossroads where you might find pesticide labels on the market with very different looking labels. That is because we're currently in the transition of using two different labeling systems. The one being the labeling guidelines published by the World Health Organization and the other being the globally harmonized system of classification published by the United Nations. This is abbreviated as GHS in layman's terms. So the former is the labeling system that is currently being phased out. And these labels are the more well-known labels with color bands at the bottom of the front panel, which could be red, yellow, blue, or green. And that color of the band reflects acute hazard of the pesticide. So red being the most acutely toxic and blue and green being the least toxic. But I just want to reiterate that this only reflects the acute toxicity of the pesticide and not the chronic hazards. These labels also display several pictures called pictograms on the color bands that indicate the precautions that need to be taken and the personal protective equipment that should be worn when handling the chemical. For GHS, the new legislation requires that all pesticide labels need to be updated within the next two months. These new labels will no longer have color bands. Instead of a color band, these labels will contain black and white pictograms in red diamonds on the front panel of the label. There are nine different pictograms indicating physical hazards, health hazards, and environmental hazards. So these, I would say, for most consumers are are the important information because this is the hazards that you need to take into account when using it. So these pictograms have different meanings. For example, a skull and crossbone would be an indication of the acute toxicity of the product. Whereas a health pictogram showing a shadow of a person with a white star across its chest is an indication of the chronic toxicity of the product. So therefore, the GHS is actually a lot more comprehensive in terms of the hazard communication of the product than the old WHO labels. Besides the pictograms, these hazards are also written on the label as hazard statements and precautionary statements to tell the user what precautions need to be taken to mitigate the risks of harm occurring. So it is important to note, again, that these products have not changed. So the hazard hasn't changed for the product. The labeling has just become more comprehensive. And other key elements, just because I think the safety information for most users are the most important. But other things that's also important to take into account that's on the label is information to the physician in case of accidental poisonings. There's a period of time that you need to wait to harvest the commodity after applying a chemical to a crop, which is also very important. And labels will also contain lots of other information that I don't think is too necessary to mention, but like resistance management, like you spoke of previously, a mode of action and how you should use it and rotate your chemicals so that resistance don't develop. And then also very important is all of the uses that the product is registered for. So obviously the label is a legal document and you can only use 
the product according to what's written on the label. So you cannot use it for a different purpose. That's also very important information from the label. Now, what challenges do manufacturers face when it comes to communicating complex safety and usage information on these labels? And also, is it going to be easier to kind of read and understand with the new labeling? I think your question says it all. The information provided on labels is often complex and technical and difficult to understand, even by the standards of experts. As mentioned about the WHO and JHS labels, I think it is a bit of a loss that we are losing the color band. I think in a country like South Africa, where we have a lot of illiterate people that might use pesticides, I think it was a very easy way for people to quickly see whether a product is acutely toxic or not. But the JHS is, like I said, more comprehensive and it contains more information on the hazards. So I think the most important would be to understand the pictograms and what they mean. And that will take a lot of education still. I think we're putting a lot of effort into training people on how to understand the new labels and the new pictograms that's associated with the hazards on these labels. But to try and communicate this complex information to users, I think a lot of our efforts goes mostly into training the agents and distributors that distribute products to farmers so that they can have the necessary training to understand how to use these products safely and according to the label, because obviously we can't reach every farmer. So uh, the agents that get into contact with the farmers, they will usually convey this information to the farmers if it's complex. We train them so that they understand, so that they can convey this information. I think it's, it's a bit more difficult with civilian consumers, how to reach them. But we also have our, the registration holder's number always on the label. So I think you can always phone a registration holder to also try and explain complex information that is on a label. Thanks so much, Rulene. I think all of you have your jobs really cut out for you in terms of all the regulations and trying to share that information in the best way possible to consumers and people in the agricultural industry. But I think that there is a huge drive towards being able to do this more efficiently. Can we talk about how consumers should approach labels? If I'm walking into a store and I need something specific for my backyard or garden, what should they specifically be attentive to when using a pesticide product? The first thing is to make sure that the product is registered for the use that you want to use it for. So if you're going to buy a product to control cockroaches, you have to ensure that that product is registered to be used in such a way. I think that is the most important. And then when you've bought the product, the most important is to read the label before using the product and ensuring you understand all the, the implications of using the product. So uh, the warnings and precautions are probably the most important for most users because these are often hazardous chemicals. And um, ensuring you understand the hazards and know which precautions you need to take to minimize risks, such as wearing personal protective equipment. And the pesticide, as I said, can only be used to stipulate it on the label. So looking at how the pesticide is recommended for use in the way that you want to use it and following it to the T. And then my last and final question is just around initiatives that CropLife South Africa are undertaking to promote better understanding and compliance with labeling instructions amongst consumers. I think Dr. Fadoran mentioned the campaign that will be coming up soon, but there are obviously active things that you're doing currently. So maybe you can just give us some more information around that for people to tap into listening to this episode. Yeah, Harat mentioned that we take advocacy very seriously and have a lot of ventures taking place to try and advocate good use. And like I said, 
We also have a lot of training going on for people to understand the new labels and the layouts and um, make sure that, that they're aware of these changes and understand how to interpret it. Um, CropLife has also regular meetings with people in the industry, like agents and distributors and training sessions to make them aware of things happening in the industry and just sharing information and doing training. CropLife also has a continuous professional development program that these agents and distributors attend to inform them of any important information happening in the industry. So we have a lot of ventures that we do to try and share information. And then also on our website, we have a lot of reference material. So uh, posters, for example, that you can put up in your depot with important information. So yeah, we're always trying to have new information documents created. I don't think there's enough time in a day to do everything that we want to do. But yes, we're always busy doing that and trying to get the message out there. Thank you so much to you, Rulin, as well as Dr. Herat Fredoran. I really appreciate your time. Are there any final comments from you, Dr. Herat? I would just like to reiterate what Rulin said, that I think our main motto in crop life is that despite all the other things we do is read the label and follow the label. I can tell you in my case, with all the, in, the calls I get from the public about exposure, and about pesticide poisonings, it's all related to people not following the label instructions. And people think it's only looking at the end point where you look at how to dilute and how to apply. No, it is reading the label from the main panel. First of all, the hazard pictograms, the hazard statements, the precaution statements, the warnings, and then you go on to the directions for use. And if you follow all those, then the hazard of the chemical will not evolve into risk for the person. That is, I think, the take-home message from both of us today. Thanks for joining us today on Farmers Inside Track, Dr. Gerard Verdoren and Rulin Legrantzi. We look forward to enlightening discussions that will empower us all to handle pesticides responsibly and safely. You can, of course, read more on this topic by going to www.foodformzanzi.co.za. From me, Dornumdu, our technical producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the hashtag Team Food from Zanzi, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.